Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, and, and welcome to our broadcast. Uh, last week, we started with week one of a three-week series called Heaven's Best. Remember last week I said that the last two chapters of the book of Revelation provide for us the, the clearest example of what our lives will be like in the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. Um, and then rather than taking our cues from popular culture or movies or old wives' tales, we go right to the source, the Bible, in order to truly understand what our heavenly home and our resurrected bodies are going to be like. Today, we're going to do exactly the same. We're going to be looking at the scripture. I'm going to break this discussion into two different sections. Um, the first will focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that signifies, not only to us, but to really all people for all time. And then secondly, I'll focus on what I call six characteristics of our heavenly bodies. How will we be different and how different will we be? So let's get right into that. Let's Let's talk first of all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity at the church I was serving at uh, to be able to host Lee Strobel. Now, you may know Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is an amazing author. He's written a couple books, including The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. And I, I had two days to kind of hang out with him and get him to his appointments and ferry him back and forth between the hotel and the airport and the church. Well, he's an amazing guy, and his story is even more amazing. Back in the 1980s, Lee Strobel was a, a young a reporter with the Chicago Tribune out of Chicago, Illinois. And he and his wife, Leslie, uh, basically were, were atheists. In fact, he was an ardent atheist, uh, was only interested in the facts, just the facts. Well, Leslie became a Christian, started following Jesus Christ, ended up getting baptized at Willow Creek by the founding pastor, Bill Hybels. Well, when this happened, Lee Strobel was, was beyond himself. He, he couldn't imagine what it was going to be like having a life with a Christian as a spouse. So he decided that him being an investigative journalist, he was going to go out and prove that these claims of Christianity were completely false. It was nothing but a, but a make-believe story, that nothing could be really true. It was all just make-believe. Well, he started the investigation. One of the things that, that happened was he talked to one of his colleagues about this investigation that he was going on, and that colleague happened to be a Christian. And, he, and his friend told him, he said, here's the thing, here's the thing, Lee. Look into the facts of the resurrection. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection. If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then the Christian faith is nothing more than a house of cards. Well, Lee looked into the historical evidence and ended up talking with a, a lot of very famous people, some apologists, people that have written books, people that were scholars, medical doctors, and ultimately he came to the conclusion that there was sufficient and overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he found there was enough evidence for the historicity of the Bible, Christ's death on the cross, and the resurrection. In fact, he felt that it was so overwhelming that he himself got on his knees and became a Christian. Ultimately, he wrote the book, A Case for Christ, based on his research, and then became one of America's best-known apologists and Bible teachers. Lee Strobel ended up taking his friend's advice and focused on the facts of the 
resurrection of Jesus. He found compelling evidence, and he outlines in his book, and I'm going to take you through just four of his findings. Ready? Number one, proof of the resurrection number one, the empty tomb of Jesus. The empty tomb may be the strongest proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Jews and the Romans had no motive, no motive at all to steal the body. Roman guards, remember, were professionals. And most, they were most unlikely to have fallen asleep and let somebody come and steal the body. Proof of the resurrection number two, the women eyewitnesses. You know, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, say that on the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, there were women that first came to the tomb and found it empty. And they had conversations with angels, and all four Gospel accounts account of this. Well, scholars, including legal experts, agree that if the accounts had been made up, never happened, no ancient author would have used women, especially at that time, to be witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Number one, uh, women were second-class citizens in Bible times. Their, their testimony was not even allowed. In fact, what Lee and others decided was that because their testimony was included, in fact, it was the primary testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the facts were being told as they happened, and they weren't made up at all. Proof of the resurrection number three, the reaction of the apostles. You know, Jesus told his disciples often that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to die, and then on the third day he was going to rise again. But the apostles really never believed that. In fact, they, they, they disputed it. And, and it was very frustrating, I'm sure, for Jesus because he kept telling them and they just refused to understand. Uh, then, when we see Jesus is crucified, what happens? Well, the apostles are afraid. They're hiding out. They're, they, they, they disbelieve. In fact, when the women come and tell them, they initially completely disbelieve. Thomas disbelieves and says, I'm not going to believe it until I can actually touch, put my hands in his, my fingers in his hands and my, my hand in his side. So they were completely in disbelief and very much afraid. But after they saw the resurrected Christ, everything changed. You know, um, Peter comes out on the day of Pentecost and delivers this amazing sermon. Uh, over 5,000 were added into the church that day. The, the change in the apostles, all of them, all 12 of them, in fact, of the 12 apostles, 11 of them ended up going to, their, to a martyr's death. They all faced persecution. Their life was certainly not easy by following Jesus, but the resurrected Christ had changed their lives. Proof of the resurrection number four, the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Like Lee Strobel and also people like C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell, there was a guy named Saul of Tarsus who was a Pharisee who hated the Christians, literally hated the Christians, so much so that he was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death. Well, Saul the Tarsus ends up meeting uh, Jesus on the road to Damascus, and ultimately Saul the Pharisee becomes Paul the Apostle. Now, Paul endured beatings, shipwrecks, floggings, and years of persecution. Historians believe that the Roman Emperor Nero had Paul beheaded because this amazing apostle refused to deny his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, however, had met the resurrected Christ. It was through this experience that Paul's life was completely changed. And that experience is repeated today with every Christian, people like you and me, who believe that Jesus is Lord and they confess with their mouth that Jesus, that Christ has been raised from the dead. So, four convincing proofs 
just four of actually many others that convinced Lee Strobel as well as others. So now I want to turn our attention back to the scriptures. Uh, remember I said before that if you're going to be studying the Bible, you really need to have a, a Bible. You need to be able to open the Bible and go through it. We're going to spend a lot of our time today in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, you might want to go there because we're going to be spending most of our time now, the rest of our time today, in chapter 15 of the, of the book of, of uh, 1 Corinthians. So we're going to go back to the scriptures and we're going to see the same apostle Paul as he talks about the importance of the belief of the resurrection and how that has an impact on our lives today. So we'll also then, by the end, get to the six qualities of the resurrected life, six qualities that our new resurrected bodies will have. The apostle Paul wrote two letters to the church of Corinth. Uh, the church of Corinth was in a very metropolitan, very... Um, sophisticated part of, of Greece at the time of the Apostle Paul. And Paul had spent uh, about a year and a half there uh, planning a church, establishing elders, and, and growing. And after about a year and a half, he decided to go ahead and leave, leave others, other elders in charge, and went on his way to establish other churches. Well, shortly after he leaves, he receives at least a letter, maybe a couple letters, from people saying, all is not right in Corinth, Paul. There's a few things that are going on that you need to know. And, and this is exactly why he wrote 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a response to the letters that he had received talking about some of the problems in the church. One of the misunderstandings had to do with the resurrection of the dead. Jesus often taught that he personally would be raising the dead back to life. For example, at the Last Supper, Jesus exclaims, Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I... I shall raise them up on the last day. That's John 6:54. At, at the resurrection of Lazarus, Martha had stated, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus then said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You know, in spite of these teachings of Paul, this very clear teachings of Paul and of Jesus, many of the people in, in, in Corinth started to not believe uh, in the resurrection of the body. Uh, it was likely denied by you know, some of the, uh, the philosophers at the time, some of the people that considered themselves smart. It was countercultural uh, for these Christians to believe that not only were they going to go to heaven, but there would be a bodily resurrection um, and they would be able to, to live again in their body. It was, it was almost too good to be true. See, they were not denying Christ. They were not even denying eternal life. Uh, they believed that. They, that was easy for them to believe. What they failed to believe was that their bodies would rise again. So, so Paul addresses this. Again, we're going to be in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to see Paul address this very problem. Paul says, beginning in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. You see, this is the Gospel. This is the Gospel of Paul. This is the primary teaching um, notice that Paul concludes this comment by saying, 
according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to what the prophets had said. In Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and even the story of Jonah in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. Amazing parallel to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on then to talk about how Jesus had appeared alive again in the resurrected body to the apostles and even to 500 at one time. Then Paul gets to the heart of his message and this is what it says beginning in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you then say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So Paul's argument is this, is how can you, how can we deny the resurrection of the body when we are so quick to, uh, to adapt and, and agree that Christ was raised from the dead. We, we celebrate that. We celebrate the resurrection of the dead. And Paul's saying you can't be celebrating the resurrection of, of Jesus on Easter and at the same time not teach and not believe that we as believers will also be raised from the dead. You know, unfortunately, this is the situation we have today. You know, when's the last time you heard uh, of your pastor or your preacher or your church teach about the resurrection? on the last day. When, when was the last time we thought about that? Almost all of our focus at our funerals and we talk about the life after death, we talk about heaven. Some disembodied spirits floating around somewhere with harps. We don't talk about the resurrection of the dead. But Paul says it is extremely important. Paul continues in verse 20. He says, For Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. See, Paul is saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the side of it. It's not the dessert after the main meal. It's not, it's not something separate, but it's actually the main event. Notice that Paul says that Jesus was the first fruits. Now, what does Paul mean? What is he referring to when he says the first fruits? Well, the people of Israel, here's a little history for you. The people of Israel were told by Moses 1,500 years before that there were, going to, there were seven feasts that they were going to celebrate every year. These were memorial feasts where the people got together and did certain things. Four of them were in the spring, and then three of them were later in the fall. The first four were celebrated in this order. First of all, Passover, celebrated on the 14th of Nisan, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the First Fruits, and then 50 days later, Pentecost. Those four. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and then Pentecost. And then in the fall, the, the following three would be celebrated. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the vast majority of New Testament scholars agree, have great concurrence, that these fir first four feasts have already, have already been actuated, have already been fulfilled in Jesus and the church. For example, we know that Jesus was our Passover lamb. This sinless Christ died and then was placed in a tomb, signifying the fulfillment of the days of unleavened bread. On, on the first day of the week after Passover, 
is when the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to be celebrated. Now, the first day of the week, which is Sunday after Passover, would have been Easter Sunday, and Jesus rose from the dead, signifying that Christ indeed is, our, is the first fruits, the first fruits of all of those that follow. And then number four, of course, we saw that on Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit descended, and the church, the church was born. Now, if you're interested, I can tell you that the remaining three feasts, if you're interested, the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles will likewise be fulfilled in that order in the coming times, in the coming days, in the, at the last of days. If you're, if you're interested, you can look into that at some time in the near future. So here was Paul's challenge. Paul the Apostle. The, the Corinthians believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They just couldn't believe that they would rise, that they themselves would be able to rise from the dead, that their flesh and their bodies would, would come alive at some time in the future. But Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection was just the first fruit, the first of many, the first of those who sleep in Jesus. You know, I love that word sleep. It, it, it's a great word to use when, when people die. Uh, we know that people actually die, but Paul uses this word sleep just like Jesus did when he talked about Lazarus. Remember he said that, that Lazarus sleeps. Now his apostles didn't quite understand. They said, oh, it's good that Lazarus is sleeping because then he's gonna get better. Jesus had to clarify and he says, no, no, Lazarus has, is dead. But here's what I like about the word sleep for death. Number one, when we sleep, we, we rest. We're, we're in complete peace. Our, our body is at, at, at rest. There's no longer any pain. In fact, if, if you've ever been sick, if you've ever been in a hospital, um, you, you want to sleep. When you sleep, that, that pain, that suffering goes away. There's no more suffering and, and no, more pain. What, no more pain. What a, a great metaphor for what it's like actually uh, when we die. In uh, verses 16 through 19, Paul says this. He says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So now Paul addresses another question that these Corinthians had. And we'll see that in verse 35. Verse 35, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they come? Now, this was likely a question that some of the pastors, some of the elders had tried to answer for them, but the people were unsatisfied with the answer. That's why they went to Paul, asking Paul, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? And this is one of the things we're going to try to address today. Um, this is actually a, an ancient teaching. In fact, you can go all the way back to the book of Job. Job had the same type of question. Then Job declares, I know that my Redeemer lives, and on the last day I shall rise out of the earth, and I shall be clothed again with my skin and my flesh. I shall see my God. That's Job 19, verses 25 and 26. You know, Christ raised a number of people from the dead. And I think in doing so, he was showing not only did he have, have authority over life and death, but also that he was pointing to this idea of, uh, of a resurrection. So now let's get into what I call the six characteristics, the six characteristics of your heavenly body. And we're going to stay right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first one, our new heavenly bodies will be similar yet different. Don't you like that? Similar yet different, verses 36 through 44. And this is what it says. Um, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
When you sow, you do not plant the body that it will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Paul uses their understanding of agriculture, and perhaps ours, to try to explain what it's like to be able to have this resurrection. Uh, I remember being five or six years old. I, was, I, was, I think I was in kindergarten or first grade. And our, my teacher gave me this, this little teeny seed, this little dried out seed. It was a bean seed. And she said to take the seed home and to put it on uh, some cotton and to keep the cotton moist but not, not wet but keep it moist and put it on the sill by the window and see what happens. Well, sure enough, within a day or two, all of a sudden this little bean seed started to grow and I had this little plant growing on the windowsill of our kitchen. Paul uses uh, this comparison of a seed to our advantage. Uh, the seed is actually, remember, dried out. It's planted into the ground and then something new literally forms on the inside. It breaks through the shell and it starts new growth a new plant. The new plant is not the same as the old plant. It's similar, but it's yet different. It's not the same substance, and it may look similar, but it's not exactly the same. In, in the same way, we can expect our resurrection bodies to be superior to our current bodies. We, we start out new again. We'll have none of the diseases, none of the difficulties, none of the limitations, challenges that we either faced throughout our life or perhaps just as we grew older. Uh, we start anew in a world where there is no more sickness, no more disease. Glorious. Number two, our new heavenly bodies will be eternal and always whole. Verse 42. Verse 42 says, the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. You know, Adam and Eve were told that on the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will surely die. And, and as soon as Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, of the forbidden fruit, their body began to decay. Uh, some people say that the, every day we actually die a little. You know, I, I think that's a very pessimistic view of life. I don't like thinking that every day I just die a little, but it's probably medically correct. Uh, we all age. We all have more and more difficulties. A few verses later, after 42, this is what Paul says. He says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Do you like that? Immortality. In the resurrection, we have a, a new body, a glorious body that is imperishable. We become immortal. Number three, our new heavenly bodies will be spiritual and not carnal. Verses 43 and 44. It, our dead body, is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, when Paul uses the word spiritual here, uh, what, he's, what he's referring to is not the idea that we're just kind of a ghost, that we're no spirit without body. Not at all. What Paul is talking about is the comparison of the spirit versus the flesh. In Galatians 5, for example, Paul says, Do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts after the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. In our, in our resurrected body, we're raised as a spiritual body. We no longer have the flesh lusting after the spirit. We'll be able to enjoy without overindulging, look without lusting. Number four, 
our new heavenly bodies will no longer be of Adam, but will be of Christ. That's verses 48 and 49. Verse 48, and as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. In the verses just prior to this, the Apostle Paul talks about Adam, the first man. We also know that Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Because of Adam's sin, we lived in a cursed world in a corrupted body. However, in the resurrection, just as we were of Adam, we'll now be of Christ. Jesus, as a man, was able to have an intimate fellowship with his Father. He taught not like the Pharisees, but as one who had authority. Remember the Bible says that in Christ I can do all things? Well, you'll get your chance in the heavenly body. Number five, our new heavenly bodies will look like us, but better. Verse 50 says this, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You know, while we can make the case, and people often do, that younger is better, I don't want to go down that road. Um, there, are, there are many young people, many young people that unfortunately die way, way too early. Um, so that's not what the resurrection is about, is just being young again. Uh, if you recall, Jesus appeared to many after he rose from the dead. Uh, and while he was recognized, that's one of the proofs of the resurrection, that they recognized Jesus, they saw Jesus, uh, many, it appears, did not immediately recognize him. So what's going on? You know, Mary heard his voice and realized who he was. The, disciple on the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus got, talked with Jesus, but didn't recognize Jesus until he broke bread. While there's a lot of speculation on how and why Jesus may have looked differently, I believe that the mystery may be revealed in Luke 4.29. Jesus said, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You know, if we take this in connection with what we just said in 1 Corinthians chapter 50, or uh, chapter 15, verse 50, it's likely that our very blood is different in the resurrection. That would make sense. If it's the life-giving spirit of God that transforms our blood in our bodies so that we're different, we become better, immortal, spiritual. So, you know, now that we understand DNA, now that we've started to unpack this building block of, of all living things, we can understand a little bit about how this resurrection could possibly work in Jesus' economy and in God's plan. Um, it has some, probably something to do with what we know as, as DNA. Uh, God's plan is resurrecting us and giving us the perfect heavenly body. Number six, our resurrection will be instantaneous, verses 51 through 55. Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will all be changed. My final point starts off by Paul telling us that this is a, a mystery. So what does he mean by mystery? Something that we can't understand, a puzzle, a riddle that we'll, we'll never figure out? Not at all. Paul is crystal clear on his teaching. He tells us the who, what, where, why, and even when. And remember, next week we'll get into the when. A mystery, the, a mystery in the Bible is something that was not known prior to it being disclosed. 
The word mystery actually appears 28 times in the New Testament. Paul, for example, calls the gospel that he preaches the mystery of faith, now revealed. Daniel was called the revealer of mysteries because he took Pharaoh's dreams and was able to interpret them. While the Old Testament prophets as well as the New Testament people believed in the resurrection, Paul revealed the mystery of how it would happen. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now a flash or the twinkling of an eye is, is faster than fast. It's not just a blink of the eye. He could have said a blink of the eye. But scholars understand that the twinkling of an eye is the time at the speed of light. Light travels from the surface of your eye to the back of the cornea. Paul goes on to say that it will begin with the blast of a trumpet. You know, the companion verse to 1 Corinthians 15 is 1 Thessalonians 4, um, beginning in verse 16, and it says that this trumpet is the none other than the trumpet of God. It's an indication of the unfolding of the last days. Not necessarily the very last day, but the beginning of the end of days. And then Paul goes on to say this is a universal event. It happens at the same time for all those who have died in Christ as well as all those who are still alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Uh, the dead in Christ as well as we that are alive are immediately changed. Death, Paul says, is swallowed up in victory. Uh, we see here as well as in the companion verses that this is the victory. This is the blessed hope. This is the victory of being in Christ, is the, the resurrection. This is when we become alive again. This is when we get to be resurrected. We get a, a new heavenly body. This new heavenly body is similar, similar yet different, eternal and yet always whole. It's spiritual and not carnal. It may look like us, but it's actually better, and it's instantaneous. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together like this and open up the scriptures and take a look at possibly... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.